the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's like a really bad game of ping pong or tennis. One friend rips into Job. He responds, and he does so to God, only to have another friend come in and give the next volley, as we'll see next on Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. If you've been with us for the past week or so, you'll know that we're looking at the book of Job. Now, we saw a good, quote-unquote, friend rip into Job. Job's response, rather than to Eliphaz, was to God, only to have now, as we're seeing today, another friend pick up the racket and return a second volley. We find Bildad ripping into Job today. It's found here in Job chapter 18, and that is where we catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Now, there's one thing Bildad very clearly tells us, but he really didn't mean to. And that is, when we handle God's Word, we need to be very, very reverent and careful. Bildad was right. God does judge the wicked. He was right in what he said earlier and what the other friends have already said to Job. God blesses the righteous. But this life's judgment is waiting for its full manifestation. Remember what Paul says in many places in his letters. The glory of his sonship is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, God's judgment will not be fully manifested until the last day. So we need to be careful when we talk about judgment. Because we have all heard people say, God must judge this man. God must judge this nation. Or on the other side, God must heal this believer. God must bless this prayer of mine. But beloved, what if he doesn't? What if we are confronted with the idea that God does not rule the world by our expectations? God does not bless us by what we expect he should or would do. Many people say, God must judge, but if he doesn't judge, then they draw the conclusion, well, he just doesn't care. God must be winking at sin. It must not pay to be righteous after all. And sometimes even the godly, because our expectations are not biblical about how God will work or how God won't work or what God will do or won't do, And when it turns out completely the opposite or nothing happens, we pull out our hair and we become vexed and frustrated and we lose hope and 
Sometimes we even stop praying. And then we are just one step or two away from envying the wicked. Because their way, unlike what Bildad says here, is easier in this life, or at least we think. And then we start doubting God. So we need to be very, very careful how we handle God's word. God does judge the wicked. But remember, God is merciful to his enemies. He is full of kindness and compassion. Granted, his enemies hate him. They slap him in the face. And if they could, they would pull him down off of his throne. Jesus with him. And crucify him all over again. But he is long-suffering. Because he intends to bring many out of the mass of wickedness to salvation and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to be very careful. And we have to be very careful when we look at someone's circumstance who professes to be a Christian and say, Hmm, well this is happening to them, therefore they must be evil. They must be wicked. They must have some secret sin, or we think everything in this man's life is going so great. Oh, he's got to be a saint. We need to remember not to judge by appearances. That even led Samuel astray. Remember, Samuel lined up Jesse's son. And he looked at the oldest, Eliab, and said, Man, this guy is sure to be the next king. He's handsome. He's strong. He looks good. He, he looks kingly. But God says, I dismiss him. You've dismissed him. This guy could be on the cover of GQ, and you just dismiss him? God says, yeah. Because I do see what he looks like on the outside. But that's not my standard of judgment because that is false. I see what men look like on the inside. I, I see what their true character is. So we have to be very careful. Remember, what is revealed belongs to us. What is secret belongs to God. Bildad says... I think I can read God's secrets. I think I can look at your life, Job, and see you are wicked. And he says that in three ways in chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. He makes one basic point, and that is, Job, again, just like Eliphaz said two chapters ago, you are a wordy fool. He says in verse 2, Job, how long are you going to keep talking? He said, listen to us. Be quiet, and then we will speak to you. Then, Job, why do you look at us as dumb animals? Why are we hated in your sight? Why are you tearing yourself in anger? Now, verse 4, beloved, is a very important verse. On one hand, unlike our Lord Jesus, but like some of the prophets, like some preachers, Job's friends look at him, and because his outward circumstances were so deplorable and nasty, and he was so weak, they wouldn't listen to him. So they flip it around and say, Job, you need to listen to us. 
Job, you should be listening to us. You're the one who should be quiet. Plus, Bildad says in verse 4, Job, are you so special that God's going to overturn the whole world just to comfort you? Verse 4, shall the earth be forsaken for you? Shall the rock be removed out of its place for you? In other words, Bildad said, Job, you must think you're really something very special. But you're obviously wicked, or at least a hypocrite. That's why all of these things are happening to you. What do you want God to do? I mean, you're complaining about your children, you're complaining about your health, your stuff is all gone. What do you want Him to do? Do you want him to turn the whole world upside down and let you come into his presence to debate with him? Do you think because you believe you are special that the rules are somehow different for you? I dare say there is a little bit of this in all of us. Although it wasn't true of Job directly. But there's probably a little bit of this in all of us. That somehow the rules don't quite apply to me in the same way they apply to everyone else. Somehow I'm above this. Somehow God's going to make a unique situation for me because I'm special. But then we realize that he doesn't. And we make martyrs of ourselves. Why, Lord, am I sick all the time? Why do I have this husband or this wife or these children? Why do I have this bad stuff happening to me or whatever it may be? Why, oh why, oh why? And all the while, the reason we come to this way of thinking is because we are operating under false expectations. I didn't know being a Christian meant I had to bear such a heavy cross. I didn't know that being a Christian meant that some people wouldn't like me. And in some seasons of my life, I might have to be alone. I might not, I might not have many friends. I didn't know I was going to have to bear such reproach. I mean, after all, we live in America, right? We are a blessed country and we hear all the time about American exceptionalism. After all, aren't we God's chosen people? Aren't we the new Israel of God from sea to shining sea? And we read all this great American history written in Christian circles. But then we wake up and we realize, okay, I've been operating under delusions. I've been operating under ideas that I was special and my nation was special and God was going to somehow deal differently with us. Or maybe just on a more personal level, there wouldn't be so much suffering for me. There wouldn't be so much sickness in my life. And if I sin, God wouldn't deal with me quite so harshly. What we do when we think like this is, we fall into what Bill Dad says here. Lord, overturn the world for me because I deserve it, because I'm special. I'm a Christian, and I'm an American, and I'm usually a pretty good person. 
Now, most of us wouldn't be that bold with this, but that's how we often act, and it makes us very, very miserable and bitter. But instead of thinking like this, we should do just one thing. And beloved, it would make all of our lives so much easier and it would be so liberating. And that is to say, Lord, my only expectation is that you will be my God and that you will make me your son or your daughter. That is my only expectation. When it comes to suffering, I don't deserve not to suffer. If it comes to difficulty, am I going to escape the common lot of men? Am I always going to avoid that bad traffic? Am I always going to be the picture of health? Am I always going to have everything I need? No. I give all of that to you, Lord. Are people going to respect all of my opinions? No, not always. But that doesn't matter. Because life is not about people respecting me and loving me and thinking well about me. Are my children going to be appreciative of me? No. Because every parent here remembers when they were a child. And we know that we have to say, oh, but I didn't appreciate my parents as I should have either. The thing we've got to do is get over the idol of self. And only Jesus can break that idol. We must crucify all of our expectations on the altar before him, not because we are doing something noble, but because purely and simply we want him. Lord, you are my only expectation. I don't expect you to exempt me from bodily suffering. I don't expect you to exempt me from dementia. Oh, I can vitamize myself and I can do all these healthy things, but I can't expect that I'm going to go through life without problems. All I expect is that when the problems come, that you are faithful. And that you will be my God. And you see with that. I have just given up my expectations. I have just yielded up to the Lord and said Lord. I am your servant. Just like David did in Psalm 119. He said I am your servant. Save me. That's what we need to pray. Job was more of this mindset than his friends realized. So we've got to take Bildad's warning to Job as mere nonsense. Because he was saying, Job, you do expect this. Now, I don't believe Job ever did. But we can use Bildad's warning and ask ourselves, am I really yielded to God? The Lord has fixed the path of my life. He is ordered to nature, and he's not going to make exceptions for me. Beloved, you've got to understand that's a good thing. Because if God upholds the natural order, is he not much more going to make sure everything works out for my salvation and my good and yours? 
Just think about all the birds that God fed today. If God takes care of the birds and all the other things that we can't even see, don't you think he's going to take care of us? So I don't have to worry. I don't have to worry. I can give my expectations to the Lord, and then when trouble comes, I don't make a martyr out of myself. Beloved, it is always ugly to make martyrs out of ourselves. It is always miserable. It always comes from an elevated sense of importance. I'm doing this important work, and people should recognize it. And I know, because I've been there, it's an ugly place to be. But when you give up all of that, you just say, Lord, I'm your servant. You've bought me with the blood of your own son. Not only did you create me, but you recreated me in him. And my only expectation is that you will forgive me and cleanse me through the blood of your son. And beloved, that brings true liberation. Oh, that brings true liberation. I think this is one of the times in which Jesus would say, if you know the truth, the truth will indeed set you free. And here is the truth. We must not go through life operating under delusions, personal delusions, political delusions, prosperity delusions, health delusions, family delusions, financial delusions. We should expect that our God will be faithful and he will watch over us right into heaven. Therefore, we can't expect him to treat us any differently than he did many of the great men and women of faith in his word, including Job. You know, recently there's been a lot of ter- about terrorism in the news. And Christians' response should be compassion toward the afflicted, prayer, and incredible freedom from worry. Now, we're not to think we're exempt from any of this. I'm a Christian. Terrorism isn't going to affect me. No, we're not exempt. God brings things into the life of a Christian the same as he brings into the life of the unbeliever. But our responses will be totally different. On the one hand, in the unbeliever's life, there is fear-mongering and desperation and trying to control his environment for his safety. But in the Christian, he should want to show a pattern of humility, self-control, joy in God's providence and submission to him. For beloved, Christ is on our side. He is seated on the throne, and he does all things, all things for our good. So Bildad, in verses 5 through 10, thinks, and I have said this before, that Job is wicked. So he describes in these verses the destiny of the wicked as being very dark, and of course, he is right. It is very dark. 
Verse 5, the light of the wicked shall be put out. The spark of his fire shall not shine. His daylight of rebellion is going to give way to an eternal night of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The light shall be darkened in his tabernacle and his light shall be put out everywhere he goes. Oh, Bildad is right here. Darkness is everywhere the unbeliever goes because he takes that darkness with him. We have a lot of politicizing today and posturing, you know, save the family. But the family looks like it does, beloved, because the individuals of the family live as they do. You're not going to save the family with more money and more programs. The only way you're going to save the family is with Jesus. Saving by bringing his light and scattering the darkness. And until that happens, the family is going to continue to dwell in the darkness of its members, at least in the unbelieving community. Verse 7, as he describes the dark destiny of the wicked, he says, The steps of his strength shall be straightened, and his own counsel shall cast him down. Even his strength will be his weakness. He will fall into the net that he sows for himself, or the trap that he makes for himself. Bildad says at one level, there are no moral accidents. Men go where they want to go, and if you follow sin, you are going to fall into the pit that you choose, and there is no way to escape the trap of sin, except through a living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Bildad is right. It is true as far as it goes, but he is also wrong. Because he ignores the other side of God's dealings with men that I've already mentioned several times. Beloved, God blesses his enemies. God doesn't always call the wicked to fall into the pit. At least in this life, as we think he should. He does cause the sun to rise and the rain to fall upon his enemy. But Bildad's heart is very cold to this. He doesn't seem to know anything about God's merciful dealings, especially with his enemies. And he paints their destiny in this life as absolute and immediate. Now, it certainly is true. Judgment is coming. But the Lord does give his enemies time to repent and to turn to him and Praise the Lord, he does, beloved, or we wouldn't be here. Or have you forgotten that you were at one time the enemy of God? If God dealt with men as absolutely as Bill Dud thought he does, we would all be in hell at this very moment. It is true the destiny of the impenitent is dark, but it would be more accurate, though, if he had been describing hell instead of this life. And it is a very accurate picture of the sinner's afterlife. Now at the same time, we need to take heart what Bildad said about the way the wicked being nothing, of the wicked being nothing but a trap. We forget this about sin. Sin is a trap. 
Sin is not some innocuous thing. Sin is an active principle of rebellion against God that has one goal, to trap you and bring you down to hell. That's it. Remember who Satan is. Jesus said in John 8:44, Satan is a murderer from the beginning. He hates men. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 